I invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer. Spirit of life-giving love and love-giving life. Spirit of an autumn day that confuses itself with summer. Spirit of a topsy-turvy world in which it's sometimes so difficult to feel secure. Let us be about our deeper yearnings and understandings. Let us be about our deeper connections. Let us be about our gratitude for the life that has been given us, that we might have faith and hope in what is yet to come. May our actions ever support our faith and our hope. Let us hold this moment together in quiet. Amen. Our first reading is more of a summary of the position of the ancient Talmudic rabbis of the Jewish tradition. It's from the book, The Wisdom of the Talmud, by the late Talmudic scholar, Rabbi Ben-Zion Boxer. The Talmudic rabbis were impressed with the profoundly important role that emotions play in life. The heart, which they looked upon as the seat of emotion, was regarded by them as the principal source of control over all human actions. All of man's bodily organs are dependent on the heart, was a Talmudic dictum. It is the heart, therefore, which may be said to carry responsibility for whatever we do in life. Thus, one rabbinic comment offers us the sweeping generalization. The heart sees, hears, speaks, walks, falls, stands, rejoices, hardens, softens, grieves, is broken, is haughty, persuades, errs, fears, loves, hates, envies, searches, and reflects. A contemporary of Rabbi Boxer was the German Lutheran theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote, Nothing can fill the gap when we are away from those we love, and it would be wrong to try and find anything. He must simply hold out and win through. That sounds very hard at first, but at the same time, it is a great consolation, since leaving the gap unfilled preserves the bonds between us. It is nonsense to say that God fills the gap. He does not fill it, but keeps it empty so that our communion with another may be kept alive, even at the cost of pain. So perhaps another way of thinking about the old adage, nothing ventured, nothing gained, is the thought that life, if we're going to gain and savor what it has to offer, will always involve an element of risk. So I I met a woman um, 
Within the last few months, I was at a, some UU gathering in the state of New Jersey, and I think that maybe she was a member of the Orange Congregation, and she said to me, oh, I visited Montclair when I was looking for a UU congregation, and I decided to, to come to Summit. I said, well, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to find a, a church home. She said, would you like to know why I didn't choose Montclair? And I said, well, sure, if you'd like to tell me why you didn't choose. She said, on the Sunday that I visited, you had a fire drill. And she said, and I just thought that was the weirdest thing in the world for a congregation to do. And I said, oh, well, we kind of thought it was just being responsible. So life, if we're going to gain and savor what it has to offer, will always involve an element of risk. So what's at risk in having a fire drill? What's the value of having a fire drill? What is ventured or gained or lost by having a fire drill? Perhaps people will not feel at home here. My hope is that they'll feel safer, though. I'll talk more about the specifics of the fire drill in just a couple of minutes, Um, but I want to take a short time to at least attempt to create a spiritual context in which to hold a fire drill. This is where we come to find our spiritual context. I've been contemplating the balance that exists between the dynamics of risk risk and safety. Last week I was uh, away, Judy Tomlinson was in the pulpit, and I was away. I had to go ride my bicycle uh, from from Pittsburgh to Cumberland, Maryland, and back. And I had a a 270-mile ride through the beautiful, beautiful Allegheny Mountains. Almost the entire ride was along a mountain stream, all forested, a couple of farms along the way, but, but, but just phenomenally beautiful. And as I, as I was trying to conceive of myself in that setting, I, you know, there I was on my bicycle moving through space and time in this beautiful, beautiful setting. And, and, I was a spot moving along a thread across the eastern continental divide on this continent, on this world, and I just kept going out further and further to the, to the galaxy and, and then finally to the whole universe. And it, within the whole universe, I was this little tiniest spot riding along this thread of a trail and all of this beauty. And I couldn't help but to think of how small I was in the vastness of all things, and yet it, that was the only thing that was possible for me to know, was that, that experience. I could think of the other things, but I couldn't know them. And what occurred to me was that most typically, being on the safe side of things usually means attempting to avoid experience. I was relatively safe riding along the Great Allegheny Trail. I wore my helmet. I watched for ruts and stray animals. I watched for other bicyclists. I watched for for pedestrians. But still, I'd have been a whole lot safer staying home. But what would I have forfeited in doing that? The truth is that we live in constant danger all of our lives. So do we allow that to paralyze us, or do we accept the challenge to move in through those dangers? Life asks us to risk. If we take no risks in our thoughts or our actions or our relationships, if we take no risks in our loves or in any of the many aspects of our lives, if we take no risks in our lives, we redeem little of what it might otherwise mean to have been alive at all. 
The need for safety need not fuel our fears and keep us from living. We need to work on our faith and our hope in life. I'm not suggesting that life is asking us to be hazardous in our behavior, but that it invites us to step outside of our insulation and our isolation, outside of our comfort levels where we can meet the stranger, including the stranger within ourselves, to step outside of our comfort zones where we will find our opportunities for meaning and for purpose in our lives. So the first point that I want you to go away with this morning might be summed up by something that Barnaby Feeder shared with me that his mother shared with him. Barnaby, uh, Barnaby Feeder, for those of you who might not know him, was a member of our congregation who we ordained uh, a little over a year ago and is now serving a congregation up in, in New Hampshire, in Vermont. Uh, and Barnaby's mother said to Barnaby, when I come to die, I don't want to regret, I, I know that I won't regret any of the things that I have done in my life. I will only regret the things that I have not done. May we all live to reduce the regrets of our lifetimes. Moving on then. A pet peeve of mine, which is closely related to our theme this morning, and which I like to say at all times, there there are two pet peeves. One is people should drive with their headlights on all the time. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) The other one that I want to spend a minute on is, is the cultural custom that we've developed that teaches our children to never speak to strangers. We do need to teach our children how to keep themselves as safe as possible, but we don't need to teach them to be suspicious of other people. We don't need to teach them that they're superior to anyone else. We don't need to teach them to be uncaring towards anyone, and we don't need to teach them to be isolated or insulated in their lifetimes. We are saved in our lives, we are redeemed in our lives over and over again in our exposure to, in our connections with the stranger, with the unknown event and the unknowable. And so the second point that I want to leave you with is the thought that the world is made safer, even richer by the connections that we make, reaching out beyond ourselves, safely so, into that which is unknown. Just the same, there are things that we often need to do in order to reduce our risk. And I'm going to abbreviate things a little because with all the announcements and things we we went on. But um, there are things that we need to do, and there is a delicate balance in them between uh, balance that exists between vulnerability and security. And it has been a long time since we have had a fire drill here. And I have felt terribly guilty about that. And I'm so grateful that my guilt has been redeemed by the lack of fires. But I don't know how long I can bank on that one. You know, we get to go outside every year for, for uh, Easter Earth Communion. And I'd, I'd rather bank on that one. Uh, because of, of uh, the outfit. Uh, you know, several years ago when we had a fire drill, I was away for a Sunday, and Rosemary Bray McNatt was our uh, intern at that time, and she was leading the service, and we actually had a fire. And uh, because there had been a fire drill, it went very smoothly. We are going to have a fire drill in, in just a, a few minutes, um, but I, I want to tell you how it's going to work before it happens. Um, it might be the case that you'll, you would be here if we had a fire, and there will be people who were not here for this fire drill, and you'll need to help them along because we won't have any warning. It would just happen if it were going to happen. And so um, the thing is this. In this room, uh, people in these first two rows that are of different chairs, which is the person who doesn't wear helmets, uh, will, will exit through the side door over here 
And I would like everybody else to go out the two back doors over here. And then um, what you need to remember, what you need to remember is that no one may go down the stairs. If you have children in religious education, the sure way to rob any safety from the practice of a fire drill, should a real fire occur, is for us to jam up that stairway by anyone trying to go down as the children are coming up and out. Do not go down the stairs. Do not try to retrieve a coat. Do not try to retrieve a baby buggy. Don't try to retrieve anything. Just go out. Where we're going to go this morning and where everybody's going to end up is on our front lawn. In the event of a real fire, we would be out in front of the the parking lot and over in the uh, lawn of Christ Church across the street. We thought we wouldn't bother them with that this morning. So we're going to we're going to stay here in our yard. Any any questions? Then we're going to gather up outside and we're going to sing our closing hymn out there. So uh, yes, Peg. The teachers will be bringing the children up and they all have planned exits and the children will all make it outside safely only if we don't try to get them. Okay, Danny, we are on. I'll see you out in the lawn. Uh, I'm timing this. Oh, yes. Wait. I was going to mention in the moment that I had... Our safe and civil congregation policy, um, because it, it's an important piece for people to know about if you don't. Uh, it's, it's a way that we try to make our children and those who might be vulnerable to sexual misconduct and uh, abuse. And uh, so know that we have that. <laughs>